The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. Lord Jesus, thank you again for your love for us and for your word. Thank you that you have not let us, left us alone to wander and try to figure out who you are. Uh, we just sang so many truths about who you, who you are. And today the teachings we're going to see are going to drive in deeper of who you truly are and how important it is for us to know who you are in order to experience true freedom in this life. So open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears to hear from you as we get into your word. John chapter 8 has been called by many one of the most offensive chapters in all the Bible. Uh, What's going on here in John chapter 8 is Jesus is going toe-to-toe with the religious elite of his day. The scriptures tell us that Jesus came to his own, and his own rejected him. He was born of the the, the Jews. In the book of uh, Genesis, chapter 12, Abraham was called by God, chosen by God, told by God that I will bless you, and through you the world and the nations will be blessed. It was always God's plan that the nation of Israel would be God's ambassadors, God's sent ones, to take God's love, God's truth, to the ends of the earth. And that's still God's plan. And and yet, many who felt that, well, we're, we're children of Abraham, we're, we're, we have Jewish blood in us, so we're special chosen people, and they felt like if they memorized enough of God's law and and showed themselves to be better than the next guy, that somehow they would become spiritual elite. And Jesus came down to tell them that they had it all wrong, that they were, they were missing it entirely, that they weren't, in fact, children of Abraham, but they were, uh, you're going to see some pretty harsh words. Jesus is going to call them sons of the devil. Those are, those are not s- simple words. I mean, it would be one thing for me, just an average person to say to you, man, I don't like that you're a son of devil. But when Jesus calls you that, that's that's pretty serious. And the question I have for each and every one of us today is, are you a son of the Father, our Heavenly Father, or are you a child of the devil? How many of you want to be known as a child of the devil? That kind of sounds funny, and nobody wants that, but there is no other way. you either a a redeemed, blood-bought son of God, or you are a child of the devil. Uh, That's extreme, and that's why this chapter is so offensive. Because there is truth, and anything outside of that truth is a a lie of of the father of lies, the devil. And so Jesus is having this conversation with a large group of people. There are people, again, remember the festivals going on. There's a lot of people who are remembering the God of the Old Testament and uh, the light that he provided uh, as he led them through the wilderness. And Jesus, in the middle of that context, says, I am the light. The light that you worship, the, the light that you remember your forefathers being led by, standing here right in front of you. I am the light of the world. And today he's going to call himself the truth. And so let's dive in and see where this conversation 
continues to go. And this is not a conversation that just was a standalone conversation and happened just between those who were present that day. But this conversation, I hope, continues today and that your heart is open to hear what God is trying to say to you through what he wants to do. So, Lord Jesus, come. Help us to hear your words in your name we pray. As Jesus was sharing with the crowds, many uh, were moved by the Holy Spirit and many came and they, they heard his words and they, they said there's something different about this man. He teaches as if he really knows what he's talking about. And many, according to verse 30, John chapter 8 verse 30 said, many began to put their belief in him. And so that's where we pick up verse 33. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you're taking notes, write down John chapter 15 and go read that later. Jesus is going to talk about the importance of what it means to abide in him. The word abide means to dwell in or remain in. Uh, the word is mino, which means to be, to be a part of so much so that you are transformed by being a part of it. And what Jesus is saying to these Jews who believe that because they're Jewish, that they somehow have a free pass, get out of jail card, and they get to go straight to heaven. Jesus is going to tell them it is not about your blood. It's not about who your father is. It's about whether you know me or not. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. If you abide in me, what does it mean to abide? It means to be not just to know about. How many of you can tell me some of the stats of the, the World Series winners this year? Anybody that much of a baseball fan, the Nats? How many can name at least a player on the team that just won? Anybody? Okay, how many of you can name like five of the players on the team? How many of you can name like the best pitchers on our team? Well, some of you know a little bit about, uh, so does that mean you can just walk into that stadium and say, hey, I'm here to, to have lunch with, name somebody. Strasburg. How many of you feel that you know enough that you could just walk up and say, yeah, we're going to have lunch? Really? Take me along. It's one thing to know about. It's another thing to know. A lot of us, we memorize a lot of stats, a lot of things, but it doesn't mean that we have the right to roll up and just demand dinner or lunch with you. And what Jesus is saying here is a lot of you, it's not enough just to know about me. A lot of you, you've memorized the scriptures. You, 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 you've sung songs about me. You, you've sung songs about the Father, but I'm standing right in front of you and you don't know who I am. Francis Chan put it like this. I've, I've told this story before. Um, the way that many of us see Christianity is as crazy as this illustration uh, a lot of you know I have three daughters. So imagine a couple years ago when they were all living at home. Um, uh, the rooms are a mess, okay? And so I'm about to go out and I say, okay, as your dad, I want to come home and I want your rooms clean. And so I go out and they don't clean the rooms. I come back and I go up to them and I say, okay, Jordan, Bailey, Lexi, 
uh, did you clean your room? And they get together and they say, Dad, we love you so much. You're a great father. Which they said all the time. They said, we love you so much that we got together and we talked about what it would mean if we were to clean our room. We actually wrote a song about what it would look like if our rooms were clean. And we did a compare and contrast chart of what a dirty room looks like and what a clean room looks like and all the benefits of having a clean room. Are you not, aren't you so proud of us? Did you clean your room or not? But that's how many of us view our relationship with God. Jesus says to them, do you know me? And if you know me, are you following me? Are you abiding in me? Are you doing the things that you, or have you just memorized a bunch of rules that you, you think that by knowing them, you will somehow earn your salvation? It's not enough just to know me. It's not enough just to know about me. You have to abide in me. You have to, you have to know who I truly am. We need to have a relationship. And if you truly believe in me, you will abide in me. You will then truly be my disciples. You will follow me. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. You will follow me. But he says this, if, if you abide in me. Why do you say it like that? Well, if you remember John chapter 6, there were a bunch of followers of Jesus. They were all wanting to see him feed. They were all wanting to see him, you know, do miracles and turn a bunch of water into wine. They wanted that, Jesus, remember? And then Jesus laid down the law and he said, you know, you don't really want me. You just want my stuff. If you truly want me, you need to learn what it means to truly follow me. Don't just eat the bread that I make, but eat of me. What are you talking about? Unless you eat of me and drink of my blood, you will have no part of me. This is a little weird. They wanted Jesus' stuff. They didn't want him. Now, nobody, a lot of them, you know, they weren't sure what he was talking about. And, of course, what he was talking about is him going eventually to the cross to have his body broken for us and his blood shed. And and, and he's going to lead his disciples, as we will do at the end of the service in the four corners of our room, to remember by taking a piece of bread and dipping it in a cup of, of juice to remember his body broken and his blood shed for us. And, and, and in a way, admitting that, I can't live this life on my own. I need someone who died for me, who took my sins away. To truly abide in me. But John 6, 66 tells us that from that point on, many disciples chose to no longer follow him and turned away to never follow him again. In 1 John two nineteen, let me just read it for you so that you hear it clearly. The same guy who's writing what we're reading from the book of John writes this in, in a leather letter that he wrote. He said this, of, of the people who turned away from Jesus, they went out from us, but they were never part of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become clear that they were never a part of us. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says these words about some who claim to be followers of Jesus. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to, to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And didn't we do all these mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, just imagine that. Imagine people who are thinking they're somehow earning their way to heaven because they're going to church enough, because they're memorizing enough, because they're helping the poor. These things, there's no amount of good works that we can do to somehow earn God's love. But the good news is this, and Jesus was trying to get this through to them. Stop trying to live life according to some set of laws that you will never be able to achieve, and instead die to yourself and simply accept the free love that I offer. If you will admit that you cannot live up to these rules, these rules are not here to give you salvation. These rules are here to show you that you are broken and lost and need a Savior. And I'm here to tell you that if you know this truth, you will know me. Look at the verse. And if you know the truth, verse 32, the truth will set you free. You can take your pencil and put a line through the word, the truth, and write Jesus' name there. Where am I getting that from? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you will know Jesus, and Jesus will set you free. They thought that they could somehow earn their salvation by obeying the laws of the Old Testament. And yet, they were worshiping the laws and not the giver of the laws. They were worshiping the the promises of old and not the one who made the promises. Jesus was standing there in front of them as the truth, willing to give them freedom. And so they answered and they said, what are you talking about? We are offspring of Abraham and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say that we will become free? This verse is a little confusing. First of all, yes, they are the flesh, blood, and blood-born children of Abraham. They can trace their line all the way back to Abraham. That's true. But Jesus is going to make it clear that it doesn't matter who your father is if you don't know the heavenly father. And the second part of this verse, it's kind of unclear what they mean. We've never been enslaved to anyone because, I mean, if it doesn't take much history, digging into history to see that they definitely had been enslaved by, by the Egyptians twice by the Assyrians, by the Macedonians, by the Medo-Persians, by the Babylonians, by the Syrians, and now by Rome. So I don't know where they're coming from. Maybe they're talking about, well, nobody's really ever taken away our ability to worship our God. Who knows? But even that was Nebuchadnezzar. If you pray, I'm going to throw you into the, the, the lions. 
So who, who knows where they're coming from, but they're not thinking clearly. But Jesus responds. He goes with them down this road, down this argument. Jesus answers in verse 34 and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Anybody in here never sinned yet? How many of you have sinned? Raise your hand if you've sinned. A couple of you haven't. That is awesome. Let's set up a class so you can teach us how to live the way you're living. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody has to teach you how to sin. Most children, their first word they learn is no. How many of you had to sit down your children and teach them how to lie? Okay, let's practice that again. We are all born with a fallen, sinful nature. And the scriptures say that because of the sin in our life, that we are slaves to sin. Slaves. How many of you have ever tried not to sin still gave in to sin. Yeah. Let me read you a couple passages of Scripture. Galatians 4 tells us this about our slavery. In the same way, we also, when we were children, We were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts Crying, Abba, which means Daddy. Crying, Abba, Daddy, Father. And you now are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. As sinners, we are born with sin in our life, and therefore we are slaves. And a a slave does not remain in the house for long, they will one day be escorted out. There will one day be a time in heaven when Jesus will say to some, you are my sons and you I am well pleased and to others depart from me. I never knew you. And we just read the verse that some of those would be religious people who thought they had it right. It's not about how much good we do. It's about Jesus is to you? Is he your truth? Do you know him? The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. Have you been made a son? He goes on and he shares with them. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Physically, yes, that's true. You are Jews by blood. Your heritage, you can trace your roots back. Sure, some of you have 
pristine lines of lineage. I'm telling you what I'm telling you because I speak the words of my father. And this is where it gets nasty. Jesus says to them, you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, what what are you talking about? Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, then you would be doing the works that Abraham But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Instead, you are doing the works that your father did. They said to him, we were born, we were not born of sexual immorality. Where where is this coming from? Some of them, they were bound and determined that this Jesus could not be the Messiah because you know why? Mary. Remember, Joseph sought to divorce her. Joseph wasn't around. Mary went off and got pregnant with somebody else. That's not right. That's That's immoral. So these Jews are not believing that he's the son of God. They're not believing he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. They're not believing that he's the Messiah. So they throw that out here. We're not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, and that is God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, then you would love me. For I have come from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he, my Father, sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Now look at this verse, 44. the devil is not just a mythical being. Satan is real. Satan lives on this earth and he is seeking who he can devour. He has come to lie, to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he doesn't matter if he gets you to become the, the most good or most evil person in the world. As long as he keeps you from Jesus, he is successful. And these religious elite, they thought they had found their salvation in memorizing a bunch of laws and singing a bunch of songs and doing a bunch of festivals. They were sons of the devil. If you don't know Jesus, you're a child of Satan. Those are offensive words, but let them sink. going to come a time when all of us will stand before God and we will be separated, some to the right, some to the left, not based on how much of the Bible we memorized, not based on how many times we went to church, but what we believe. 
Jesus would say to those whom he sends away, I never knew you. Does Jesus know you? He loves you. He doesn't want to send anybody away. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He went to the cross to save each and every one of us. He loved us so much that he left heaven and came down to the mess of our world to say, I love you. Stop trying to earn your own salvation. You can't do it. Just trust me. Follow me. I love you. I'm here to forgive you. The truth is, is you're dead in your sin. If you know me, you will know the truth and you will be set free. Let me set you free. He's begging and pleading with these people. He's begging and pleading with you today. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, I am not a liar. Which one of you can convict me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? I've not sinned. None of you can see anything I've done wrong. You hate me because I'm telling you the truth. Which one of you can convict me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? Verse 47. Whoever is of God hears God's word. The reason why you do not hear God's word is because you do not know and you are not of God. There are three takeaways that I want us to have as we walk away from this passage. We're going we're gonna to read the rest in a moment. Number one, if you are truly, if you've been set free, it ought to show. If you truly have faith and you know Jesus and you call yourself a son of God, it should be obvious. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't sin because I am the first to say that I still stumble. I still struggle. I still fall flat on my face. But the Bible tells us that a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. He seeks forgiveness. When I mess up, my heart grieves because I have the Holy Spirit living in me who doesn't like when I choose what I know is wrong. If you don't feel guilty about the choices you're making, please hear me, and I say this in love, you may not have the Spirit inside of you. If you are living a life of sin and you don't feel guilty and you don't feel it's wrong, it may be that you don't yet know who Jesus truly is. Satan will want you living uh, as free a life as you think you're living until the day you die and you realize you're not free at all. Only Jesus can truly give you freedom. If you have found freedom, you will begin to be transformed. Your actions will start to be different. The way you think, the way you live will start to be different. 
I remember as a youth pastor, many of us as youth pastors would say to our teens all the time, if you were put on trial for Christianity, there should be some evidence that could be stacked up to prove you're a Christian. How much evidence is there that you truly believe in Jesus and your life? Number two, faith is not linked to your lineage. Josh is back with us. That's Josh, right? Josh was born a son to Reed and Ronnie Darvel. Therefore, he's a Christian. Amen, right? No? Are you serious? Are you two Christians? Then he's your son. He's a Christian. absolutely right. It doesn't matter. Jesus is saying, yeah, I know you're, you're children of Abraham, but you know what? That means nothing. You don't know me. You're not a child of God. Until Josh came to a point in his life where he didn't just walk in his parents' faith, but he decided for himself, I know Jesus, and I know that Jesus loves me, and I'm deciding right now to put my own faith in Jesus. It's at that point that he was born again became a child of God. Just because we're Americans, which many many say it's a nation of God, you know what, that's so becoming so far from the truth. It doesn't matter what country you're born in, who your parents are, it doesn't matter how many times you go to church, none of these things make you a Christian until you know the truth, and the truth's name is Jesus. Until you know him, you are not a child of God. I know I've had friends who say, you know, I don't know if I can become religious like you, John. There's a lot of things, there's a lot of freedoms I won't have anymore. How free is someone in bondage to alcohol and drugs? How free is someone in bondage to pornography? How free is someone in bondage to addiction? Oh, but I'm choosing to know you're not. You give in to that addiction every time. You struggle and you don't want to. And it's because you're a slave to it. And I'm not saying that just magically praying a prayer and saying Jesus' name will make all of your addictions disappear. But it's the first step to the road of recovery. It's admitting that you need him and you cannot fight those addictions on your own. We find freedom not in embracing ourselves, but in dying to ourselves. Matthew chapter 16 says, Whoever wants to find his life must learn to lose it. Matthew 20 tells us, Whoever wants to be great must first learn to be a servant. Freedom is not the world's view of freedom biblically. We become free in Christ when we learn to put him first in every area, and then we will live the way we were created to live. And we will experience the greatest joys, the highest highs, peace that is unexplainable. 
freedom in Christ brings new life. It brings new relationship with God. It brings forgiveness of sin. And God doesn't just forgive. When God forgives sins, he separates it as far from us as the east is from the west. Freedom in God brings a home with him forever. It brings an eternal inheritance. It brings purpose for living. How many of you played with those slot cars growing up? You know, that track figure eight, if you were really blessed, you had maybe a couple full loops or twists and turns. It was great. Gary and I would play, and you'd get that little paddle, right, the little squeeze trigger. How many of you had these? And you, you put, the, put, them, put them on, and you race each other, and it's going great. Every once in a while, you'd hit a turn a little too fast, and the car would go flying off. Have you ever noticed when you picked up the car and it wasn't on the track and you squeezed the trigger, nothing happens? so sad. That car should be free to go wherever it wants. Cars have rights too, right? Hello? That car was made to be on that track. And when it's on the track and it's right place, it will go fast. It'll do cool loops. It'll do all kinds of cool stuff. But you put that thing that was made for that track in the wrong place and it's worthless. And many of us think that I I want freedom to go here and here and here, but you were created to be and live that way. We were created to live according to God's principles. And I'm not saying following God is boring. I love my life. There are a ton of things I get to do that are exciting in Christ. He brings true joy and true, true fulfillment to everything that I love to do. put it like this. True freedom is not moving away from who God made you to be. It's diving in and living it out. Over and over again, I've been saying this phrase, we were made by him and for him. Jesus made each and every one of us so that we would live for him According to Ephesians chapter 1, we were created not to praise him, but to be his praise. Read Ephesians chapter 1, that everything in our life should be a fragrant aroma to him. That in the way that we eat, sleep, play, and shop, it can all be a fragrant act of worship in how we live. Created to be his praise. religious leader of the day just kept wanting to argue. The Jews answered him in verse 48 as we bring things to a close. Are we not right in saying that you must be out of your mind? You must be a Samaritan. See how they use Samaritans. You must be a Samaritan and possessed by a demon. You're crazy, Jesus. Jesus answered, I don't have a demon. I honor my father. You dishonor me. Yet I do not speak for my own glory. There is one who seeks it. God the Father seeks my glory. 
and he is the judge. Verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word and abides in me, if anyone keeps my word, that's the purpose of abiding, staying true to who God is, letting God live in you, you living in God. If anyone keeps my word, you will never see death. Oh, there you go again. You must be a liar. Abraham died. All the prophets died. They lived according to God's word. You, you're, you're insane, Jesus. How in the world can you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And all the prophets that died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Verse 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom I say he is our God. But you, you've not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I don't know him, then I'd be a liar just like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that Abraham was faithful and it was credited to him as righteousness. He, he, although he never knew Jesus by name, he never saw Jesus, he believed in the Messiah to come. And the Old Testament saints of old, the Bible tells us that when Jesus went to the cross and when he died, that he descended to the depths of the earth. He went to a place the Bible calls paradise. And he went, and Abraham and those of the Old Testament who had put their faith in what they knew about God, who put their faith in the promised Messiah to come, they were there waiting for the Jesus who would one come day come to set them free. And as Jesus went down, he said, all right, guys, I did it. I just died on the cross for the sins of the world. I've died now so that you can have salvation. And come, let's go up to heaven. And they were part of the first resurrection. Abraham knew me, and he waited for me. saw it and he was glad. So the Jews said to him, what are you talking about? You're not even 50 years old. Abraham lived thousands of years ago. What are you talking about? You must be insane. You must be out of your mind. How have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I tell you this. I say to you, before Abraham was, they picked up stones. They knew they had to kill this man. Now he was claiming the name of God himself. The name of God. Moses was called by God. Moses said, God said to Moses, go to Egypt, tell the Pharaoh to set my people free. Okay, fine God, when I get there, who do I tell Pharaoh has sent me? God said, tell them I am sent you. The name of God, Jesus just said, before Abraham was, I am. At this, they picked up stones to kill him. Jesus slipped away and was left to himself. Let's pray. The motivation is, Jesus' heart here 
is for no one to perish, but all to have eternal life. Jesus is begging with these people who think they have somehow earned their own way to heaven to come to see who he, he who for who he really is. He is God in flesh. He is the great I am. He stands before him saying them saying, I love you. I'm here to forgive you. I want to be your truth. I want to be your light. I want to be your living water. I want to be your bread. I want to give you fulfillment. I want to set you free. Will you just look to me and see me for who I really am? I love you. This is what he says to you today. So stop trying to earn your way to God by attending church enough, doing enough good things, praying enough, memorizing enough. Your good works will always fall short. None of us are good enough. But the great gift of God is it, it he doesn't require that. What he requires is for us to know him to invite him into our lives, to admit that apart from him, we are dead in our sins, to confess that we are sinners to him and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Thank you for going to the cross for me. I will stop trying to live my life, trying to become better on my own. I surrender to you, come into my life and take over. Help me to deal with the struggles in my life. Help me to deal with the addictions in my life. Help me to deal with the things that have got me tangled up. Come into my life. I need you. And the Bible says that when we believe in our heart that he is the only one who can be our Lord, when we call out to him as Lord, he will come in and he will make us new and he will set us free. And so today, if you're out here, The invitation from Jesus to you is, do you know him as your truth? Do you know him as your living water? Do you know him as the bread of life? Have you called him into your life? If not, you can do so today. You don't have to go and get your life right first. You don't have to go and clean your room first. You just come to him and say, Jesus, my room is a mess. I need you. And if you want to do that, you can do it right now. As I pray, you just call out to Jesus and say, come into my life. Thank you for dying on a cross for me. Come in and make me new. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your love for us, your unconditional love that doesn't require us to do anything but to simply admit we need you. To admit that you are our Savior. You are the Lord, the giver of life. You have come to give us abundant life and that as we learn to die to ourselves and our own desires, you will give us new desires. You will make us new and we will be made free in you. So God, right now I pray for those in this room who have maybe up until this moment never called out to you in this way. That they would reach out to you from the depths of their heart saying, Jesus, come into my life, make me new. Come, set me free. I want to follow you. I want to be a child of yours, not a child of the devil. Come into my life and make me new. If that's your prayer today, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Put it up high. Pastor John, I want to be a child of God. I invite Jesus into my heart right now today. Raise your hand up if that's you. Father God, I thank you for those in this room 
who are hearing your call, I pray that those in this room would surrender to you completely and be made new as your children. Come and have your way in our life. Set us free. I pray right now for those in this room who know you as Savior and Lord. I pray that we would be real about the areas where we still are tempted and led astray, where we still stumble and get tripped up, that we would be real with you about those things, Lord Jesus, that we would confess those things to you, and that we would be set free. So God, move in our midst as we come to this time of close. Help us to be honest with you about where we are with you and about the calling that you've placed in our life to be used by you as the nation of Israel to be a blessing to this world as your ambassadors and sentinels to take this message to those who have not yet heard. We ask all these things in your name.